Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. One quick note before I get started with today's story. I got the cutest message from uh, Courtney from Southeastern Kentucky. She left me a a voice message and she was kind of laughing and she said, I just had to tell you that uh, I'm from Southeastern Kentucky and my dad's name is William Branham. So if you have listened to the podcast and now you know what a horrible person he was, if you're ever in southeastern Kentucky and you run into a William Branham, just know it is definitely not the same guy. <laughs> okay, um, so today's episode, yes, got a little bit of just old-fashioned true crime, um, although it's not, not really old-fashioned, it didn't happen all that long ago, it's one you all might be familiar with. Um, I had heard of it. I did not know all the details. I had not watched the interrogations. And those, um, those interviews are what's really fascinating about this case. So without further ado, this is the story of Shana Hubers and Ryan Poston. Ryan Poston was born on December 28, 1982, in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky. His parents were Lisa Carter and Jay Poston. He had three younger sisters, Allison, Catherine, and Elizabeth. Ryan triple majored in history, geography, and political science at Indiana University. Then he went to law school at the Salmon P. Chase College of Law at Northern Kentucky University. He began working as an attorney in Cincinnati, and in his late 20s, he was partner at a law firm. He was described as handsome, laid back, a good attorney, always very put together. He took really good care of himself. He really cared about his physical appearance, as did his new girlfriend, college student Shana Hubers. Shana Michelle Hubers was born on April 8, 1991, in Lexington, Kentucky. Hubers had a music scholarship to the University of Kentucky, uh, but she became a psychology major and graduated with honors in three years. And then she went on to begin pursuing a master's in school counseling. So how did these two get together? Initially, Ryan saw some photos of Shayna while she was on spring break. He sent her a friend request on Facebook, and the rest was history. He was 28. She was 19. Shayna loved dating an older, handsome, successful man. She was very proud of their relationship. However, the relationship was not rock solid. They were hot and cold, on and off. Uh, for about 18 months. So they would fight, they would break up, and then they would get back together. And it it became really intense. Um, And she would send uh, a lot of text messages, um, and they would be to the tune of, uh, they would be something like this. So here's an example. Quote, you break my heart. Please love me back, even as a friend. And then she sent one to a friend of hers that said, I think he knows I play on his Facebook, ha ha ha, and block bitches. Oh yeah, and by the way, I'll be quoting Shayna a lot in this episode, and there will be several uh, profanities, cuss words. So uh, again, maybe not a good one for the kids. 
Now, in the winter of 2012, it looked like Ryan was really finished. He was pulling away from her in a more definite way, and she was having a really hard time accepting it. Um, there are messages from her like, quote, I can't let you go, Ryan. Am I not pretty enough? Um, but she knew it was ending. I mean, she told her friends this was really it. He was done with her. Um, he did, he tried to be nice about it. He would tell her that she deserved better. Um, but it was just, it was messy. So, um, the lead prosecutor for the, the, the coming case, uh, her name was Michelle Snodgrass. And she, she would talk about how Shana would do things like show up unannounced naked on Ryan's couch when he would come home from work. Now, this might sound like any man's dream, except it was at a point when Ryan didn't want her there anymore. Not only that, but we don't know how she was getting into his house, his apartment. So that that changes things a little bit. And then there was the icing on the cake. Ryan met a new girl. Not just any girl. Her name was Audrey Bolte, and she was beautiful a former Miss Ohio, and her entrance into Ryan's life was the nail in the coffin for Shayna. So on our day in question here, Shayna had downloaded a photo of Audrey dressed up in a pageant gown onto her computer. Um, so that's, there's that. Now, the day we're talking about here is October 12th, 2012. And Ryan and his new girl, Audrey, were scheduled to go out on their very first date. Ryan had an apartment in Highland Heights, Kentucky, a suburb in the northern Kentucky hills, about seven miles south of Cincinnati. And it was just after eight o'clock, Ryan was getting ready, and Ryan's dad would later recall that Ryan had confided in him just the night before that he was having a hard time, but he really wanted to break up with Shayna for good this time. And he told his dad he, he just, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to make her leave. He said that she was like a ghost. He would look over at her while she was in his house and, and he would just think, why is she here? So, there's a 911 call. And immediately on the call, you can hear Shayna say, Quote, I killed my boyfriend in self-defense. I'm not a murderer, ma'am. I killed him in self-defense. She says, quote, I'm standing about 15 feet from his dead body. Now, she does sound very panicked, and the 911 operator asks if she is certain he's dead, and she says, quote, yes, he's dead, ma'am. He's completely dead. Bill Birkenhauer, Highland Heights Police Chief, revealed that Shayna didn't immediately call 911. Uh, first, she actually called her mom. And then 15 minutes after shooting Ryan, then she called 911. When Shayna did finally make the call, the operator asked her what happened. Quote, he beat me. He carried me out of the house because 
He tried to beat me and tried to carry me out of the house, and I came back in to get my things, and he was right in front of me. And he reached down and grabbed a gun, and I grabbed it out of his hands and pulled, pulled the trigger. The operator asks, do you need an ambulance? Were you injured? And Shana says, quote, I'm not injured. I was thrown into the side of the couch. I don't have any injuries. I was just very frightened. He picked, he's a lot bigger than me. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. I'm 5'8", 120. He threw me across the room, and I was very startled. I was laying on the floor, and I killed him. The operator asks if she had a history of domestic violence with him, and she says yes. And then before they hang up, Shayna adds, quote, Ma'am, and then because he was twitching and I knew he was going to die anyway and he was making funny noises, I shot him a couple more times just to kill him because I knew he would have been, and then she kind of trails off. So the operator is clearly suspicious at that time. So she makes Shayna repeat that part. And then she says, well, how many times did you shoot him total? And Shayna says she doesn't know. And then Shayna just keeps talking. She says, quote, I shot him again because he was twitching so bad I didn't want to watch him lay there and twitch. So the operator asks flat out, so you shot him instead of calling 911? And she says again, quote, yeah, I did because I knew he was going to die anyway. This is even more chilling, I think, um, having me read it than hearing the 911 call because, you know, the, the call, it's in a high-pitched voice, it's panicky, it's kind of muffled, but broken down. Hearing me speak these words to you, it's pretty unreal, isn't it? I, like, I figured he was going to die anyway, so instead of calling 911 or trying to do CPR or stop the bleeding, I just shot him some more because I didn't feel like watching him twitch. So up until now, it's a pretty run-of-the-mill case. Boy meets girl, girl falls in love, boy rejects girl, girl murders boy. Things get really interesting during the interrogation. Shayna Hubers is taken to the Highland Heights police station. She's read her Miranda rights. Dave Fornosh, the officer conducting the interview, explains that if she wants an attorney, she can have one, and she doesn't have to keep talking. But she keeps talking. Right off the bat, she comments on how she doesn't have any serious injuries, but she easily could have. And then again, she says that she shot him in self-defense because he's done stuff before where she's hit her head on a headboard and she could have died. Um, She says that she wishes she could go back and do it again and that she'd rather just have her head beat into a coffee table. Birkenhauer, the police chief, points out that at that time, at the time of the interrogation, police didn't have information yet as to whether or not there had really been domestic disputes in the past. So they continue listening to Shana's story, um, which is that Ryan had put his arm across a table and had it in her face and was screaming at her at the top of his lungs. And he had already thrown her around the room. So, you know, in the 911 call, she said that she's sitting on the floor and then she kills him. Now they're sitting across from each other at a table. 
So then she starts to say this. Quote, he was saying emotionally to me, you're a fucking hillbilly. I fucking hate you. I hate your fucking Eastern Kentucky accent. I hate your mother. I hate your friends. I hate everything about you for what you are. What What's interesting about this part to me is that um, if you look at other, if you look at shows or or you watch the Killer Cases episode about this this case, um, Ryan doesn't really seem to talk like that. Um, we see a bunch of his text messages. We see that their messages back and forth. Ryan doesn't say things like "I fucking hate you," but Shayna does. There are texts from Shayna saying "I hate you" to Ryan. I just thought that was interesting. Anyway, she goes back into describing what happened. She shows with her hands that he had placed his hands around her neck and was dragging her around and threw her out the door. According to Chief Birkenhauer, if someone is dragged out of a house by the neck, like Shayna indicated Ryan did, there should be some sort of red mark, some kind of bruising, some even a little indication that the neck area was irritated. Again, Shayna doesn't have any injuries. Now, you would think that based on Shayna's de- description, Shayna's description of what was going on in that apartment that night, the space would be a little disheveled. Things would be strewn about. Not the case. The crime scene photos tell a different story. On the table, the one Shayna said he kind of moved across while screaming and putting his hands in her face. Nothing was disturbed on that table. The bookshelf where the gun was placed, there were bullets standing on end. It had smoking pipes up in these little displays. Um, It had books sitting upright. Everything was in order. Uh, Nothing, nothing had fallen over. And this is important because during the 911 call, Shayna had told the operator that she was thrown into that bookshelf. So you would assume that something would be out of place, but the crime scene photos don't lie. So how exactly did Ryan die? Sitting at the interrogation room, at the table in the interrogation room, Shayna reenacts it. So at this point during the interrogation, she's pretty calm. She's not crying. She seems unbothered by the fact that she just killed her boyfriend and is being questioned by police. So she stands up from the table. She kind of puts her arms out in front of her and then sinks back down into the chair and says, that's what happened. That's when she knew he was dead or close to it and doing the the twitching. The prosecutor, Michelle Snodgrass, was in the next room listening to the interrogation, and she said she was shocked by the harshness of Shayna's words. Shayna then stands up and backs into the corner of the room where she pretends to be holding a gun. And she demonstrates while narrating, quote, I shot him once and didn't shoot again for a while, but I was watching him die. 
When she says that last part, I was watching him die, her arms are out to her side. She's looking directly into the eyes of the interrogator, and she might as well be telling the plot of a sitcom she watched the night before. I mean, it is so matter-of-fact. And then you can watch it, like, in a split second. It's like she remembers the situation she's in, and she flips this switch, and she starts to choke up and says, quote, It was so painful to watch him die and to know that I had done that. Then she starts pointing a finger in front of her repeatedly, and she says, quote, I just walked around the table and shot him where I knew he would die immediately. The police chief and prosecutor were in disbelief watching this interview unfold, but it gets even stranger. When Shayna is alone in the interrogation room, she starts twirling. I mean, she literally gets up out of her seat and starts doing pirouettes over and over again. And then she starts singing. She sings Amazing Grace, and it is quite a performance. And then, strangest of all, she snaps her fingers in the air and says out loud to a tune, quote, I did it. Yup, I did it. I did it. She ended up shooting him six times, by the way. Bullet wounds in the face, arm, and chest. After three hours of interviews, Shayna Hubers was formally charged with the murder of Ryan Poston. And she couldn't make bail, so she stayed in jail until her trial. You know, Michelle Snodgrass, one of the prosecutors, says that she thinks Shayna truly believed that everyone would buy her story and that she could fool the police. Meanwhile, Snodgrass is thinking this is an open and shut case. It's an easy conviction. And at first, she was right. After the first trial, the headlines read, quote, Shayna Hubers, sentenced to 40 years in prison, shows no remorse. She killed boyfriend over date with Miss Ohio. Her first conviction came about two and a half years after her arrest. But less than a year after Shayna is given a 40-year sentence, it comes out that one of the jurors was a convicted felon. Kentucky law says felons can't have jury duty. He wasn't supposed to be on that jury. So the conviction was overturned and it was on to trial number two. Prosecutor Kyle Burns talked on the show Killer Cases about how awful this was for Ryan's family. And it really is. I mean, it's the worst part of mistrials and things like that is you're just making the family relive the nightmare over and over again. And it's for good reason. I mean, you want the legal system to work fairly and and efficiently, but that's certainly a tough part of it. But now the defense had an opportunity to come up with a new story, a better story, maybe one that could get Shayna off the hook. In his opening statement, Prosecutor Burns wants to make sure that the jury isn't fooled by her sweet, innocent appearance. Because Shayna is pretty. She's petite, she's put together, she's intelligent, so she speaks well. So Burns makes sure the jury understands that she is also jealous, calculated, and most of all, manipulative. He says... There were two ways Ryan Poston was leaving his apartment that night, either as Shayna's boyfriend or in a body bag. Shayna's family hired her a different lawyer for the second trial. His name is um, David Eldridge. And 
This time they let go of the self-defense claim. I mean, that's really not their focus anymore. Even though on the night of the murder, I mean, that's all she said was self-defense, self-defense over and over again. But it really wasn't the focus this time. So this time, Eldridge would focus on Shayna Huber's mental health and say that she was out of her mind on October 12, 2012. Um, So in an interview for Killer Cases, Eldridge explains that they needed to center in on Shayna's, quote, extreme emotional disturbance. So in Kentucky, if you intentionally kill someone, it's murder, unless it's, quote, done under the influence of extreme emotional disturbance for which there was a reasonable explanation or excuse. Nice and specific, huh? Not at all open to interpretation. So the defense was hoping they could get it down to first-degree manslaughter, and with time served, she could be out of prison in a couple years. That was really the goal. And in his opening statements, Eldridge throws out terms like borderline personality disorder um, and PTSD. And... They wanted to make sure Ryan Poston looked like he deserved it. Eldridge describes the night of the murder as Ryan comes home to his apartment from his high-stress job. Quote, he's in a very dark mood. He's very upset. Not too long after she arrives, he lights into her verbally, critical of everything there is to be critical of her about. Vile comments to her. Verbal assault. So that's how uh, Eldridge sets this up, okay? And he also talks about how Ryan looked that night, how his eyes were frightening and scary. And then he, quote, bursts out the door and physically attacks her and slams her arm into the door, physically attacks her. Now remember, Shayna didn't have a single injury on her body. There was nothing wrong with her clothing. The apartment wasn't disheveled. Literally zero signs of an assault or a struggle. David Fornash, the first officer on the scene, took the stand and testified that he didn't see any evidence of a struggle inside the apartment that night. And then there was this moment that I have to imagine was pretty impactful to the jury when the prosecutor asked Officer Fornash if at any point during his interrogation with Shayna he saw her shed tears. His response? No, ma'am. They also played those parts of the tape where Shayna's alone in the room singing, dancing, and telling herself, I did it. They played all of that on the very first day. But the lawyers said, her lawyers said, that all this did was corroborate her obvious emotional distress. So on the second day of the trial, the prosecutors called Dr. Christy Euler to the stand. So Christy was a friend of Shayna's, and They had exchanged some text messages that prosecutors felt would be really helpful. For example, two days before Ryan was murdered, Shayna sent this text to her friend, Dr. Euler, who's a dentist. Quote, Ryan's been begging me to ask if you could do his veneers. Please F them up and make him ugly so he'll never get another girl. I hate him. Less than two weeks before that, Shayna sent her friend another message. Quote, When I go to the shooting range with Ryan tonight, I want to turn around, shoot him, kill him, 
and play like it's an accident. That was October 1st. Ryan was shot to death on the 12th. Now, remember how I told you that Shayna had downloaded a photo of Audrey Bolte to her computer just a few hours before she killed Ryan? So this was jealousy. It's crazy because Audrey Bolte took the stand and testified that she and Ryan had truly not even met in person yet. This was going to be the first time. They had only exchanged some messages. But the defense used this opportunity to cross-examine Bolte and point out that Ryan was sort of two-timing Shayna. He uses an example where he asks Audrey if she recalls Ryan telling her that he was watching the presidential debate with his parents. She said yes. He says, did Ryan also tell you that he was watching it with Shayna? Audrey, very nonchalantly, says no. Eldridge said the point he was trying to make was that Ryan was sending, quote, a lot of mixed signals as to what his desires were. Shayna had, in fact, been invited to his parents' home to watch the debate. Remember, this has been a rocky, on-again, off-again relationship for over a year. So the next person that comes to the stand, this is interesting. This is a witness who was called that had not appeared in the first trial. She was a salesperson at Kenwood Mall in Cincinnati, which is a great mall, by the way. Um, And she'd overheard Shayna talking about her relationship while she was there shopping earlier on the day that she murdered Ryan. So this employee heard Shayna saying that she found out her boyfriend was seeing someone else and that she was going to kill him. And the woman heard Shayna say this multiple times. The last people to be called to the stand for the prosecution were Shayna's cellmates. Uh, Holly Nivens was one of them. And she said that Shayna told her that she'd made up stories about Ryan raping and abusing her and that he actually hadn't done anything to her that night. So that was it for the prosecution, and then the defense had to decide whether or not to call Shayna to the stand. That's a big decision. It's a gamble. As you all probably know, it's usually not advised that your client take the stand in their own defense. Um, But Eldridge said that Shayna really wanted to testify, okay? And so, of course, it was her right to do so. Um, But before that, actually, let's talk a minute about the psychologist. Um, They heard from Dr. Thomas Schacht, uh, who was a psychologist that testified that at the time of the murder, Shayna Huber's psychological condition was, quote, seriously abnormal. Later, her attorney noted that side effects of borderline personality disorder are most intense in the patient's early to mid-20s. So, he says, she was at a, quote, particularly vulnerable time in her life. So after that, then they call Shayna Hubers. And here is where we are introduced to the orgasm defense. The orgasm defense. What happened between Shayna and Ryan that led her to become so emotionally disturbed? The defense had to come up with something. 
So here's what Shayna says, quote, There were continued issues throughout the relationship about the issue of orgasm. I tried to please Ryan to the best of my ability. He wanted to try different things and he ordered different things off the internet to help me achieve orgasm. Talking about this later, her attorney Eldridge says they just had to go there. They had to go there in order to make this argument they were trying to make. They were trying to make Ryan look um, sexually demanding, maybe even perverted. Um, they were just trying to make Shayna look like a victim. So he says, was there anything else Ryan wanted you to do? And she says, yes, he wanted me to get a G-shot injection. For those who don't know, a G-shot is a vaginal rejuvenation treatment. So it's like this shot of collagen that helps enhance your orgasm. And Ryan wanted Shayna to have this done. So what I'm hearing is that he wanted to explore and play with toys and enhance her orgasm. And so far, I don't see how any of this translates to anything negative. And maybe there was more to this, this part um, while she was on the stand that I didn't hear. But just from these, these snippets that I saw, I don't see anything emotionally abusive if anything, he's being generous. He's trying to make her more comfortable. Um, I don't know if there were things about like them having a safe word and him not stopping or like him recording her when she didn't know it. That stuff would be problematic. Um, but nothing in here to me really, really puts up a red flag. Um, but things do sort of take a sharp turn when Shayna starts looking over at her attorney while she's talking and then she adds, quote, he told me I was a fucked up person because I was touched when I was a little girl and that's why you can't orgasm and that's why I can't love you and that is why no one will ever be able to love you. Which, if Ryan ever said that, obviously that crosses the line. That's horrible. So at this point, she is asked to take us back to the night of the murder. So she remembers trying to stand up from where she's sitting on the floor. Ryan pushes her back down by placing his hand on her chest. She's crying hysterically. And then she recalls Ryan standing over her and grabbing the gun that was sitting on the table and pointing it at her and saying, quote, I could just kill you right now and get away with it and nobody would even know. When asked how she reacts to this, she has to kind of stop and think. And it's this moment where you can just see that she's really been coached on this hard and she's trying to remember her next line. So she picks back up and she says, Ryan sits the gun back down on the table. He walks around the table, still talking, saying hurtful things. She doesn't remember exactly what. And he was standing up from the chair and reaching across the table. She doesn't know if he was reaching for the gun or reaching for her but she was still sitting on the floor. So she gets up off the floor, grabs the gun, and shoots him. Now, honestly, I think the prosecutors were hyped when the defense decided to put Shayna on the stand. Snodgrass and Burns talk about how they had been preparing for that case for seven years now. I mean, they were ready. And they had gone through thousands of text messages, and some of them really 
made Shayna look bad, um, especially after what the defense, what their angle had been. So Snodgrass asks Shayna to read some of her text messages. So from August 19th, 2012, which is just a couple of months before the murder, there's a text from Shayna to Ryan that says, quote, so why won't you initiate sex with me? The next one from her said, quote, will you initiate it in person? Because I don't want to force myself on you sexually anymore. So while the defense was trying to make it seem like Ryan was some sort of sex machine, it turned out he didn't appear to even be interested in having sex with Shayna anymore. And then the zinger, or at least I would consider this a zinger. They go back to the interrogation room videos and Shayna's talking about the murder. She's describing it. And during all of that, she says something crazy. She says that Ryan is, quote, very vain. One of our last conversations we had that was good was that he wants my best friend, who's a dentist, to do his veneers and wants to get a nose job. Just that kind of person. And I shot him right there. I gave him his nose job he wanted. That is a direct quote. And, you know, a lot of that tape shows a calm, coherent, mentally sound person. Yes, what she did while she was alone in there was a little bizarre, but during her interviews, she's understanding right from wrong. She's processing the situation. She even says, quote, I don't think what I did was necessarily like completely wrong, you know? And her statements and her story were consistent and You know, like the parts about him twitching and shooting him more because she didn't want to watch him die and that it was self-defense. You know, whether it's true or not, her story was consistent and she, you know, she seemed like a sound person telling her story. So, after they uh, cross-examined her, they had their closing arguments, bada-bing, bada-boom, the trial lasted a total of 10 days. And after just five short hours of deliberation, the verdict was in. We, the jury, find the defendant, Shana Hubers, guilty of murder. In Kentucky, when a defendant is found guilty of murder, they can be sentenced 20 to 50 years or life imprisonment, and prosecutors wanted life. They asked Ryan's family to make statements before the sentencing verdict, and one of Ryan's sisters came up, and she had this teddy bear made out of Ryan's shirt, and it had his voicemail recording stitched into the paw. So she plays it, and between sobs, she says, quote, that's it. That's all we have. And it was so, God, it was heartbreaking. And his father made a, a very moving statement as well. And then Sharon Hubers, Shana's mother, she made a statement. Remember, she's the one that, that Shana called before calling 911. Um, but gosh, her statement is gut wrenching. Uh, she's miserable. Shana is her only child. It's just a really terrible situation. So the verdict came in 
We the jury fix the defendant Shana Huber's punishment for the offense of murder at life imprisonment. Audible gasps in the courtroom. The prosecution got what they wanted. Now, all of what I just told you is, or most of it, is from the episode of Killer Cases, which you can find on Hulu. This was episode three, Murder in the Kentucky Hills. So I recommend giving that a watch, but I also wanted to give you some more details that weren't mentioned in the show. So what I did is I tried to look up more more clips from this interview, the interrogation, because it was long. And I thought, you know, if those parts I did see were so wild, I wonder what else is in there. And there is some other really alarming stuff in there. So um, in Killer Cases, they show that clip of Shayna in the interrogation room. It's, you know, the famous part where she sings and dances and she says, you know, I did it. What they didn't show was the part where she's got her arms crossed. And as she's telling her story, she says, quote, I don't know if anyone will ever want to marry me if they know I killed a boyfriend in self-defense. And then, you all, she laughs and she smiles at the interrogator like they're just old friends shooting the shit. I don't know if anyone will ever marry me after this. She shot her boyfriend dead, what, like a few hours before this? She talks about um, how his obsession with guns is what killed him. Uh, She talks about how she's a staunch Democrat. She would never have touched a gun in her life, um, even though they had just gone to the shooting range together like a few weeks before. Remember the other time she had joked about killing him? So she, she just mumbles about like politics and guns for a while. And I mean, ultimately, she just talks way too much. Um... She, she goes on and on about the moment she shoots him, um, and she explains that, you know, he's lying there face down, twitching, and she says, I knew he was going to be dead in the next 15 seconds or in the next two minutes, and then she's like, well, wait, no, he was already dead, um, and you're like, which is it? Um, and it's like watching her trying to figure out her own story as she goes. So a different interviewer comes in the room. And she says something like, uh, I knew he was going to die or at least have a very deformed face. Right there, admitting that he could have survived, like he wasn't dead at that point. And then as soon as she says it, she like realizes how that sounds and what, what that implies. And she walks it back. She realizes what she's done and she says, quote, Oh, no, he would have died. He was already dying. He was already, he was dying. She also, and I I really hate this one, she says, quote, I'm not your typical murderer. I'm not someone that you see on death row. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And then she says, quote, it's sad that part of me doesn't feel bad about it. Frankly, I don't think any part of her felt bad about it. I really don't. I think that she was she was such a jealous person. I think that once she made sure no one else could possibly have Ryan, she was set free. I think she could relax. And that's why she seemed so calm in that interrogation room. That's just my opinion. I could be totally wrong. But I have I've you know, I've studied this pretty well now, pretty pretty closely and um 
I just don't see any remorse in those interrogations. Another interesting note, um, a cellmate would later tell reporters that Shayna was talking about pleading insanity at first, but that it wouldn't work. An insanity plea wouldn't work because, wait for it, because she had the IQ of Einstein, so the jury would never believe that she was insane. The cellmate uh, also told Nancy Grace that Shayna told her a totally different story about the murder, that it was all on purpose, that all he did was smirk at her, and she shot him. Now, I can't stand listening to Nancy Grace. In fact, I pretty much avoid it at all costs. But I do appreciate the transcripts like from her shows. So um, I can read what the toxicologists and forensic pathologists have to say without having to hear her voice. Um, in this case, she talks with Dr. William Marone, or maybe Maroney, a forensic pathologist. And they're looking at crime scene photos. They're looking at the table, the chair, the floor, and where all the blood is. And he's saying that it doesn't appear that Ryan got up and was coming towards her at all. It looks like he was just sitting in his chair. So together they agree that this was not self-defense. Everything is indicating that she went in there and executed him and that he never got up to attack her. And so this next part kind of makes you think. Um... Another thing that isn't mentioned in the Killer Cases episode is that multiple friends of Ryan testified that he absolutely wanted to break up with her and that she just hadn't been getting it. His law practice was doing really well. He wanted to meet this new girl. He wanted to move on. But Shayna kept calling and calling and showing up at his house uninvited. And one friend said that this time was going to be different. He was going to do it face-to-face and really just lay down the law with her. So that makes you wonder what words were exchanged, what he told her, what he said to her when she showed up at the house that night. You know what I mean? Another interesting twist in this story happened in 2018, so a couple years later. On June 7th, 2018, Shayna Hubers gets married to a transgender woman named Unique Taylor, previously known as Richard McBee. Taylor, who was 41 at the time, was in jail facing a 2016 robbery charge. They had a two-minute jailhouse ceremony in the Campbell County Detention Center in Newport. But by January of the following year, Hubers had filed for divorce. So this random jailhouse marriage lasted less than a year and soon after their marriage taylor was transferred to tennessee and their divorce was finalized in march of 2019 michelle snodgrass the prosecutor was among the people perplexed by this marriage quote she's married to an individual who spent 14 years in federal custody and who has now been picked up in tennessee on another warrant about something else Taylor has reportedly struggled with her identity, especially while being in and out of prison for a good portion of her life. All we know about her now is that she might be a tattoo artist in Arizona. So it sounds like she's doing better than Shayna at this point. 
Uh, the last thing Killer Cases didn't mention was that Shayna Hubers will be eligible for parole in 2032. Now, according to her pen pal profile, where she describes herself as having lots of long, wavy, golden brown hair, big steel blue doe eyes, and a wide, bright smile on a heart-shaped face, her conviction was under appeal in the Kentucky Supreme Court of Appeals, um, but it looks like that post may be dated because the most recent update I could find was from September 29th, 2020, and it looks like that appeal was denied. No errors were found in the case. So they had tried to raise a bunch of question, uh, questions about all sorts of stuff. Um, here were some parts of the appeal. Refusing to strike six jurors for cause, refusing to grant a change of venue, improperly admitting evidence of Huber's lack of remorse, disallowing two defense's exhibits, excluding text and Facebook messages from Poston regarding his drug use, allowing victim impact evidence during the guilt phase, permitting the testimony of one witness, and declaring another witness unavailable and allowing that witness to submit a videotaped testimony. Now, this, this part of the appeal is the first time I heard anything about Ryan's drug use. So I tried to look it up, and it looks like he was prescribed Adderall and Xanax, uh, both of which were in his system at the time of the murder. Um, a toxicologist did testify at the second trial that that combination could have caused violent outbursts. So this was an attempt by the defense to once again claim self-defense. Under cross-exam, the uh, toxicologist admitted that as long as they were monitored properly um, and taken in the correct dosage, they probably wouldn't cause aggressive behavior. And again, there was no physical evidence at the crime scene of a struggle or violent outburst other than the one Shayna had while murdering her boyfriend. Here's a comment from prosecutor Michelle Snodgrass after the appeal was denied. Quote, we're coming up on the eight-year anniversary of Ryan Poston's senseless murder. Ryan's family has endured eight years of sleepless nights, holidays with an empty chair at their table, and the constant anxiety that comes with two murder trials and the subsequent appeals. Today, with the opinion by the Kentucky Supreme Court, the burden that comes with the legal process has been lifted. Now they can focus on the true challenge that is before them learning to live life without their son, brother, grandson, nephew, and friend. Ryan Poston may have been vain. He may have been explorative with sex. He may have been looking for the next best thing. He may have wanted to get ahead in life. He may have even been physical with Shayna in the past. None of this justifies what happened the night of October 12, 2012. None of this justifies a 30-year-old life being taken. Shayna Hubers talked with friends and around strangers about killing her boyfriend. She talked about shooting him at the gun range and making it look like an accident. She showed no remorse or sadness in the interrogation room. She was worried about her future marriage prospects in the interrogation room a few hours after killing her boyfriend. Maybe we'll revisit in 2032 and see if she's made parole.
Thanks for listening to another episode. As you can probably tell, that one really bothers me. Um, it bothers me that sh- that person, Shayna Hubers, thought she could get away with that. She she thought that because of who she was and what her position was in society, that that wasn't going to be a problem. That she was just going to get away with it. That's frustrating. Um, anyway. Uh, if you guys haven't noticed, I've been putting out some longer, uh, pretty intensive episodes lately. And if you are a regular listener, I would love it if you would support the show. Um, you can Venmo me if you want to do just a one-time payment and don't want to commit to a monthly. Uh, the Venmo is at KY History Haunts. Or you can go into your podcast listening app, whatever you use, Um, And there will be a link to support the show on there as well. If you cannot make a monetary donation at this time, that is A-OK. What you can do is share the show on social media. Put it in your Instagram story. Share it on Facebook. Tell your friends. Um, Any and all of that, I greatly appreciate. So um, happy holidays. I think this might come out on Thanksgiving. And yeah, that's all I've got for now. So everybody take care and be nice to your family and until next time.